Good morning, everyone. It's really good to have you here at Fellowship. And uh, again, for those uh, of you who worked at ShareFest, again, I wanted to say thank you. My ShareFest shirt is looking a little more grungy as I get more paint on it. And, uh, but I'll tell you, as I uh, served with many of you over at the Crestview uh, Community Center, it was really awesome just to see in just a short amount of time with a lot of people there how, how it can just kind of transform. And it kind of gave you a picture of what Christ can do in us and uh, his power and his work of transforming our hearts and our souls. We are beginning a series uh, this week that is going to be taking over these next seven weekends on the seven I am statements of Jesus in the book of John. And it's done with purpose because um, we're going through the L3 journal. And the L3 journal is an opportunity for everybody to read the word of God on a daily basis. And it's a grid to do that by reading one chapter a day. And as we do that, uh, as a congregation, we'll go through over the course of this year, the whole New Testament, the, all, the, all the Psalms and the book of Proverbs. And you know, this is, this is something that helps us as a congregation, because as we go through and get into God's word on a daily basis, when we get together, we can talk about God's word together. And so we're, we want you to be involved in it. And I know that some of you have, have purchased a journal and have kind of fallen off the wagon on it. Let me just encourage you, get back in, get back in. As a matter of fact, yesterday we started First Peter. It's a brand new book in the New Testament. So if you haven't been in it in a while, open up to First Peter and start with that. Today is First Peter chapter 2. Because in the book of, no, in the book, in the month of November, we're uh, going to be picking up with the book of John that will hit right about the middle of this, this message series. And so you can follow along with us. I'll be preaching through these seven I am statements. You know, the, you know, the apostle John wa- walked with Jesus. He was in the inner circle with Jesus. And he wrote an account of the life of Christ in, the book of, in his book that was probably the most theological, the most systematic, thematic account of the life of Christ. And it's around seven signs of who Christ is and seven I am statements. And if you uh, lived in that time and Jesus said, I am, and you were a Jew, you would have an understanding of what I am means. We kind of, you know, kind of throw off that phrase. But with Jesus, it was actually a declaration of his deity. Because it goes all the way back into Exodus chapter 3, where God appeared to Moses through that burning bush. And he called Moses to go and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. And uh, so he was going to, through this exodus, take them out of slavery in Egypt. And, and Moses kind of was intimidated by this task. And, and he said, now when I go to my leaders and I say, who you, know, who you are, what's your name? What should I tell them? And God said, tell them that I am has sent you. The I am is sending you to them. And, and that was his name. That was God's name. He was the I am God. When Jesus was questioned by the authorities, the religious authorities of his day, uh, who he was and where did he come from? He said in John chapter 8, he said, before Abraham was, I am. And every person who was there knew exactly what he was saying because they picked up stones and they wanted to kill him. They wanted to stone him because he was saying, I am God. I am God. And so this is what we'll find. In these I am statements, there's declarations of the deity of Jesus Christ. John wrote his book with the express purpose 
so that everyone who reads this, everyone who comes into contact and engages Jesus, would believe in him and have life in his name. Look at John chapter 20, verse 31. He, he gives us the reason for writing this book. He says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so as we go over these seven I am statements, that's our purpose too. We want to join in with the intended purpose of the author of John and put out the identity of Jesus so that everybody here, everybody listening to the word of God this morning will believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. And that by believing, you would have life in his name. In other words, his name would be your authority. And so the goal of this series is to believe and receive the biblical Jesus as Christ in your life and leader in your life. And so as we do this, um, that's our call. That's our call. So let's look at this first I am statement. It's in John chapter 6, verse 35. So if you have your Bibles, open up, take a look at it, and it's going to be right there in black and white so that you can learn along with me as we go through this. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, there's a pattern to every I am statement that Jesus has given. And this pattern is consistent, and we're going to go through this grid each week we go through here. But here's the pattern. Jesus makes a declaration. He makes a truth claim about who he is. And here he says, he says, I am, just read it with me, the bread of life. And then he gives a teaching. And before this passage, before this statement, and after this statement, there's a lot of teaching that Jesus does to define exactly what he means by that statement, I am the bread of life. And that's what we're going to spend a good amount of time doing this morning, is we're going to look into what did Jesus really mean when he said, I'm the bread of life. But he doesn't just make a claim, and he just doesn't teach, he also calls us. He calls us to make a decision to trust in him. And here it is. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Do you see that? It's a call that whoever hears this and whoever understands who he is, if you come to him and if you believe in him, then that final part of the pattern is his promise. If you come to him, his promise is you'll never go hungry. And if you, if you uh, believe in him, you'll never be thirsty. That's the picture. And that's what Jesus is doing through these claims. He's declaring who he is. He's defining who he is. He invites us to join him and to trust him in who he is. And then he promises and he determines himself. He determines to accomplish what he promises us in our lives. And Jesus, when he said this, referred to two miraculous feedings. One of them happened 1,500 years before he said this. And it happens in Exodus chapter 16. So keep your hand in John chapter 6 and move with me to Exodus, the second book of the Bible, chapter 16. Now to understand what he was saying, we need to be taught. And so as Jesus used these two miraculous feedings, he's going to show us exactly 
who he is and what he means when he says, I'm the bread of life. Now, Exodus is, a, is a, an account of the deliverance of the children of Israel from slavery over for, for over 430 years in Egypt. God brought them out of Egypt. It's an incredible event of perhaps over a million people being brought out from Egypt and in to the middle of nowhere. God led them by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud during the day. So at any time, if you were part of the children of Israel and he was leading you, you could look up and all you had to do was follow. Some of us really want God to do that with us right now. We want that pillar right there that we can say, where do you want me to go? Which job, which person do you want me to be with? Which, you know, position should I take? And we want that to follow. That's what, that's how God led them. But he led them into a place that had no food. No food. He led them into a very desolate place in the desert. And what happens when Exodus 16 comes along is they're hungry. And their stomachs start to growl. And their mouths start to grumble. And they go to Moses and they say, what's going on here? You know, we could have gone back to to Egypt. We could have died. We were better off in Egypt than we are in the middle of nowhere. We'd rather have died with food in our hand than being out here and starved to death. And Moses said to them, you don't grumble against me. You grumble against the Lord. And then the Lord shows in Exodus 16, 12, that he had heard the grumbling of the Israelites. He says to Moses, tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know, listen to this I am statement, that I am the Lord your God. Now catch this, every night before, I mean at twilight, God rained down quail around them and they ate meat every night. And every morning for 40 years, this is what happened. When the dew left, every morning they had, they had like these flakes on the ground. And they would come and they'd grab and pick up these flakes every morning. This was bread from heaven every day. And they'd eat it. They'd eat these flakes. And, and each, each Israelite could, could get two quarts. In, in Hebrew, it's called an omer. Okay? We go with quarts, though. Try that out sometime. Just say, could I drink? To an omer of something? No, just go with quartz. Because they each would, could harvest two of these quartz each day. And, and it could be ground up and made into cakes. And they could eat each day. Now this is every day for 40 years. Over 14,000 days. God was raining down bread from heaven that they would just take. And they would eat. And it was sweet to the taste. And God did it so that you would know, they would know that he was the Lord, their God. And that everything in life, as your stomach was being filled, your soul could be filled by this God. That's who he was. And he was calling them, believe in me. And he said, now this is your daily bread. That's all you need. Sometimes, just like now, Someone would say, well, I want more than my daily bread. So they would, they would go and harvest more than this. And you know what God did? It started to rot later on in the day. And maggots would eat it. That's not a precious moments kind of God, is it? 
He really meant business. He meant obey me. And they tested him. And he kind of tested them. Would you trust me for your daily bread? Is this enough? See, just like then, now we don't, we aren't always content with God's daily bread. That's why the typical American spends about 104 to 108% of their income each month. Because we don't like what God's given us. We want more. And God says, no, be content with what I've given you. And on the Sabbath, right before the Sabbath, they would harvest two more of these. And maggots wouldn't, you know, infest it. And, and it, would, it would survive because on the Sabbath, that was the day of rest. And God said, I'll provide for that one too. So on the day before the Sabbath, you can do double. And that won't rot. Because I want you to trust me. And I want you to worship me. And I want you to obey me. That was, that was the, the food that rained down from heaven every day. And if you jump down in Exodus 16.32... They were even to take this, take this picture of manna. It says, take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. And that was a physical representation that would go right next to the testimony in the ark was this omer of manna that was preserved so that they would see, even though our forefathers got this from God and they died, God provided this at a physical reminder of the manna that came from heaven. Because God was the Lord, their God. And he would satisfy them. So that was the first, that was the first thing. And that's the type of relationship God wanted with his people. He wanted to be enough for them. He wanted to provide for them. Unfortunately... Instead of that, by the way, manna means, what is it? What is it? Kids, would you like some more? What is it? That's what, that's what it was. So that people would go, well, the, where did it come? It, it, what is it brings a greater question of where did it come from? Who gave it to us? And God gave it to them. Instead of wanting to trust in the bread of life, Israel had a mixed history of distrusting God. And seeking after other things. They sought after junk food. Through idolatry. Through worshiping other gods. And turning away from the one who provides their daily bread. And instead of that. They wanted this. And every candy company in America is planning for tonight. Did you know that? And they make the claims that Snickers satisfy you. But it does not. Israel wanted junk food. They didn't want the bread of life. And our world wants junk food. They don't want Jesus. And Isaiah says this in Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. It says this. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, he says, and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affairs. There are questions, folks, from the prophet Isaiah that we need to hear today. We need to hear 
For those of us who have no money, who live on 108% of our income, we need, to, we need to trust the one who can only satisfy. Why spend money on things that do not satisfy? Folks, that's a great question for us. So Jesus, what Jesus was saying through that is he was saying, you know, as your forefathers ate manna in the wilderness and died, I'm the one who when you trust in me, who when you figuratively eat the bread of life, you'll be fully satisfied and you will not die. But you know, it wasn't just 1,500 years ago that Jesus referenced. It was actually within 24 hours of another miraculous feeding that Jesus referred to. And that was 24 hours previous to this statement. Jesus was teaching along a mountainside, and people were coming to him, and he, they were being healed. And, and uh, he, as he continued to teach, the day went on and on and on, and it got towards the evening, and the disciples started getting nervous, because the scriptures talk about there being 500 men, which in reality, if you add women and children, you're talking about at least 15,000 people coming to see Jesus. He was at one of the heights of his popularity in his ministry, and when people saw him, they wanted to make him Messiah. They wanted to make him that political leader who would restore power back to Israel and really tell Rome what they could do with things. They wanted change and they wanted to be on top again. And Jesus, just in kind of a, a great teaching moment with his disciples, said, when the disciples said, we need to just send them away, Jesus said, no, why don't we feed them? And the disciples just did the, you know, oh, what are you talking about? Eight months wages couldn't feed this many people. And Jesus said, well, what do you have? And so his disciples probably just paid a little bit of respect to him and went out and they came back. They came back with five loaves and two fish, although it wasn't canned at the time. And uh, Jesus, Jesus said to him, well, what do you have? And they said, all we've got is five loaves and two fishes brought by a child. Jesus said one of the greatest statements of this. He said, um, well, bring them to me. Isn't that an awesome statement? That means no matter where you're at, if you're willing to trust Jesus, he'll take what you bring him, whatever you trust him with, and he'll do something great with it. And Jesus took these things, and it says in John 6, 11, move back to John with me. He took the loaves, and he gave thanks and he distributed them. He had the people get in groups so that it could be done a little bit more efficiently. And he gave the disciples the responsibility of distributing it. And they took baskets and they put the bread in and, and people would get it. And one guy, you know, as much as they wanted, it says. As much as they wanted. And so one guy took probably three. And the guy who probably came after him, this is my paraphrase, they took it. He got three. And the guy after that said, wait a minute, only five went in and six came out. What's going on? But they would take this, each person got it, and they took it, and they ate it, and they had their fill. I mean, their stomachs were full. He did the same with the fish, and they got some really good nutrition that day. But it was a miraculous event. And this group of 15,000 people who were fed by him wanted to know, who is he? You see, back here, they were saying, what is it? The group here was saying, who is he? And they followed him. 
and they followed him. And that evening, Jesus walked on the water. His disciples moved on this boat. And Jesus calmed a storm that night. And goes to Capernaum. And this group follows him and they want to know who he is. And Jesus makes this statement. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. So so the Jews looked at the other miraculous provision of bread and they questioned who he was and what he could give them. And Jesus says this in, in John 6, 48. He says, I'm the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, to, speaking of himself, which a man may eat and not die. What Jesus was saying is, the bread of life is the one who can give eternal life. That's the picture. The bread of life is eternal life. It's a life from God, that in verse 47 it says, He who believes in me has everlasting life. It's also satisfying life. It's life that will never go hungry and will never be thirsty with. It's resurrection life. If you look at verse 40, Jesus said, I will raise him up on that last day. And verse 58, Jesus says, He who feeds on this bread will live forever. This is a life that's found only in Jesus. In verse 53, it says, unless you eat this, eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you may have no life in you. And the crowd went crazy with this. The crowd said, we know this guy and he's claiming to be God. We've seen his family. We've known the place he grew up in Nazareth. We know them. How can he be anyone special? And Jesus kept calling them back to, I am the one who came down from heaven. I am the one who gives eternal life. And then they kept saying, what is he talking about? Eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Is he talking about cannibalism? And Jesus kept calling them back to the point of why do you want to follow me? Because in verse 26, move back of John 6, Jesus called it. He called the reason why people were trying to follow him. He says, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus took it and pointed right to their hearts. And, and as in then, as in now, he calls it in all of us. He knows the heart. He knows the thoughts. He knows the motives of why we seek after him, why we want him, and what we want from him. Jesus knows that. And so the real issue that Jesus calls us in, look at verse 27. He says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus is basically saying that he really checks our motives for why we're even here this morning. Why do you want Jesus in your life? You see, the conflict of the claim is this. Some of us, like the crowd, want satisfaction from Jesus. 
And some of us, like as true disciples, find satisfaction in Christ. There's a difference. There's a difference. We see it in the crowd and we see it in the disciples and we see it in our own lives. Are we looking for satisfaction from Christ or are we looking for satisfaction in Christ? There's a profound difference in the two. And your answer to this this question of which satisfaction do you want is reflected every day in your thoughts, in your motives, in your behaviors, in your prayers. And Jesus is saying this. You need to find your satisfaction in me. Don't come to him looking for his things, but not loving him. You see, when I find my, want my satisfaction from Christ, I view Jesus as someone who gives me the things to satisfy me because I want to be happy. You know what? It's easy to come to Jesus like that because he really does offer a whole different angle of contentment and fulfillment. But if we come to him and say, this is what you can do for me, then it's not him that we ultimately want. It's satisfaction. And satisfaction is the end of why we come to Jesus. It's not him. And we view God as someone who takes orders from me. Dear God, give me this. Dear God, give me that. Dear, dear God, do this for me. Make this happen. And we give orders to our heavenly waiter who should do things and, 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 and help us and be there with us so that we can do what we want. And our whole relationship with him is all about what I want from God. And instead of seeing him as the bread of life, we see him as a rich uncle we leverage our relationship with him to get what we want from him. And folks, that's what the crowd was looking for. That's why the crowd, after he provided that miraculous feeding, came after Jesus. Because they wanted him to do for them whatever they wanted him to do. You know what? And suddenly, even with Christ... Even as a follower of Christ, we can fall into this mode. How how have your prayers sounded recently? God, give me this. Give me another good day. Give me this. Give me that. Give me this. And we view him as our heavenly waiter. As someone who's that rich uncle up in the sky who has all these resources. And we've got to be good. And if we're good enough, he looks down and goes, woof, there you go. Have that. And we build our relationship over what God can do for me, not what I can do for God. And Jesus confronts us in this claim. We obey to get what we think we deserve. We try to obligate God to get what we want. Because if we're good, he owes it to us. Folks, this is not, this is not trusting in Jesus, the bread of life. Because the alternative that Jesus gives us is the picture of finding our satisfaction in him. In him. That you come to him. And instead of him doing things to satisfy you, you give your life to Christ to be satisfied. That Christ is the end. Not satisfaction. Not your happiness. Folks, if happiness is your end, you will make the Bible say whatever you wanted to say and live however you wanted to among the guise of, well, God just wants me to be happy. No. 
No, at the expense of truth and righteousness? Absolutely not. No, Christ is the end. And instead of God taking orders from you, when we find our satisfaction in Christ, my life and your life needs to be ordered around Christ. Do you know one of the great um, breakthroughs in information given to mankind was that the planets and the sun do not revolve around the earth. But God, the creator who's put order into it, has it so that the earth revolves around the sun and the sun gives light to us so that we would see that he gives light to us and all of our lives don't move the sun. We revolve around it and a life has to be God-centered. It needs to be Christ-centered. It's not about you. It's about God and Jesus wanted to really make that Really make that clear in this. And instead of having life, what what I want from God, it's what God wants for me. Folks, that's a picture not of a rich uncle, but of a loving father. And if you read Jesus' teaching in John 6, that's what you get. The father draws you to me. Coming back to the father, the loving father, the God of heaven who calls his people back through the person and the work of Jesus, the bread of life. That's the relationship where you don't leverage the relationship to get what you want, but you submit to the Father and his leadership in, his li- in your life because of who he is. That's this picture of finding satisfaction in Christ. Don't you want that? Don't you want that? I've been so disappointed when I thought God served me. So disappointed, so unfulfilled. And I did it in the name of Jesus until I came to him and said, no, you, not things, not unhealthy relationships, not those short-term decisions, little band-aids. You are going to be my satisfaction. You're going to be my joy. That's what Jesus calls us to. Well, when Jesus calls that to us, then as now, there was a response. And those who were coming to find satisfaction from Jesus, they left. Look at John 6, verse 66. It says this. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Now now catch this, folks. Do you see the movement? 24 hours previously, he's on the mountainside and he feeds with five loaves and two fish. He feeds 15,000 of them. And a good group. So you go from 15,000 in 24 hours down to a huge crowd in Capernaum and then you get down to 12. I don't know if there's a preacher in the world who'd have the guts to preach a message like that to go from 15,000 to 12. Matter of fact, there's a nightmare that I've had recently of me standing up and there just being one row of people. And I remember standing up in this nightmare and I went and I looked out and there's just one row and it was just the Pogue family. Okay, I don't know why. I need an interpreter for that. It was just the Pogue family. And I said, where did everyone go? And one of the Pogues stood up and said, that's what you get for preaching like you do. <laughs> I fear a message like that. But Jesus did it. 
because he was unrelenting in calling people to seek and find his satisfaction after and in him alone. But he went from 15,000 to 12 in less than 24 hours. And scriptures, real quick, if you just follow the movement of the crowd in this passage, you'll see that they came seeking, they started grumbling, they started murmuring as he kept saying, I am the bread of life. Find your satisfaction in me. You'll never die. You'll have eternal life when you find it in me to leaving, gone. Can you even hear the noise of the crowd? And when he said it, can you hear the quietness? And just in that quietness, Jesus looked at his 12 and he said, do you want to leave also? And I love it. I love it. Simon Peter, great words that he said. Underline this. He says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? Underline that. Because that's where we need to be, people. That's the faith we need to have. There's no one else but Jesus. I find my satisfaction in Christ. Where else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. You see how this even ties into the whole book of John in John chapter 20, where, Jesus, where John writes, these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. Here you get a proclamation after this statement. If we believe you're the Holy One of God, That's where we need to be. We need to be staying with Jesus, folks. Why are you following him? You want junk food from Jesus? No, he doesn't provide that. That's a blurry picture of who he is. He's the one and the only one. And your life changes after you meet Jesus. There's a difference. Because you find your satisfaction in him and you love him and you serve him. That's, that's the church. We need to be a staying, enduring church. Did they understand what Jesus said? No, they didn't. They were still questioning it. They went, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it is what they're saying. And Jesus just kept, you want to leave? And they just go, can't figure out that last teaching lesson, but I'm willing to trust you. And there are going to be questions in your life that you have about what God's doing in your life. Do you just chuck it all when that happens? I've heard Christians do that. No, you don't. You stay with them. Where else are you going to go? That's the, that's, where else are you going to go? Honestly, if he is who he says he is, where else? What else you got? I got nothing. I got nothing in my life. If he's not that. So even though I can't figure him out all the time and what he's doing, I still trust we stay with him. We want to be a church that does that. Because we stay on him, we continue to spiritually feed on him. Feed through faith in what he's done for us. That's what we're going to do right now. We're going to celebrate what Christ has done for us on the cross through communion. And we're going to link. In some way, there was a whisper all the way back in Exodus 16. That is, they picked it up and they saw the bread from heaven and they were fed by the bread from heaven. This is Jesus, who's the bread of life, has come to us to fulfill and satisfy the hunger of our souls. And just as Jesus fed the 15,000 and he gave them bread to eat, 
that was a picture of his body being given for us and his blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of sins so that when we take and eat and ingest these elements that don't save. There's people who have taken Jesus' statements in, six, in John 6 and said, oh, this saves you. No, it doesn't save you. This isn't cannibalism. These elements don't turn into the body and blood of Jesus. They're representations of it. It's a symbol of it. That's how Jesus used it. We got to get that straight, church. They're symbols of what he's done, but we still take and we eat because it signifies that we believe that Jesus is our bread of life, that his work on the cross was enough for us. I just want to invite you to that if that's what you believe. If you haven't figured this out yet, just watch because we don't want you taking this uh, as just a ritual. We want you to really believe what Christ has done for you. If this is the first Sunday you've heard about what Christ has done for you, that he's taken your sin on the cross, then by faith, come and believe in the bread of life and celebrate this with us. Let's pray. Jesus, we've been convicted today. We've been convicted by your claim of being the bread of life. And we would ask you to be who you are in our lives. Forgive us when we have wanted to find satisfaction from you instead of in you. And Lord, move in our hearts so that we would be truly satisfied. There would be nothing else. We would say like Peter, to whom else shall we go? You do have the words of eternal life. You are the Holy One of God, the Messiah, the Savior the redeemer of our lives. Help us to be a church that stays with you, to be satisfied in you, our bread of life. For it's in the name of Jesus I pray, amen.